Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Today we're going to have a nice conversation with my good buddy in Dallas, Carol. Carol and I have been friends for many, many years, probably close to 20 years now. And we're going to be talking today about a new energy that we've been noticing coming onto the planet, and we know that this is part of the new energies, the new era, and it is the more feminine way of doing things, um, and it's called comp- uh, cooperation. And what it's doing is transplanting this uh, over-the-top, competition that's been kind of out of control the last few thousand years. So I'm going to open the line now to Carol, and we're going to talk about this. Good morning, Carol. Hi, Lois. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm excited to be on your show today. Oh, thank you. I'm very happy that you could be here. So what I wanted to talk about today is um, one of the things that hit me this morning is that... um, the reason cooperation is more of a feminine thing is because of our background as, you know, hunter-gatherers. And we were the gatherers who had to stay in the caves and cooperate with each other in child-rearing and cooking and all that stuff. And the men had to go out and be the hunters, and they were competing with other animals and other tribes, I suppose, for uh, food. So it all developed naturally and it's not like one thing's wrong and the other is right but it needs to be in balance and i think it's been out of balance and that the evidence of that is war all these wars we've been having so what do you think well i definitely agree with that that uh proposition um you know you can't uh you can't feed a family you can't um feed a village without the unique skills of a variety, of a variety of people um you know, I do feel that that um, men have that basis of competition, of uh, cooperation, also because um, because hunting, especially in Stone Age times, was the element, was the epitome of of cooperation. I mean, they literally had to um, flank the animals, had to run the animals down, and so they did learn how to do that. But for some reason. This competition thing seems to be much more hardwired in men, and um, I do feel that kind of goes along with the whole uh, situation, the whole theory of the Aquarian Age actually finally getting here, even though we've all been hearing about it for, you know, I guess 40 years now. Yeah. Um, and that, and Aquarian energy is basically the that of uh, of cooperation. Yeah, and also partly I think the reason it's hardwired in men this cooperative this uh competitive thing is because even though they you're absolutely right work together as a group in the tribe, they did have other tribes to compete with to a certain degree, but they had other predators to Definitely. compete with. 
So I think that may be how it happened, and the, the people who were the more competitive were the ones that brought home the, the meat. So um, it so uh, well, some of the evidence that I'm seeing has to do with uh, here's an, an example of what I I'm seeing how this energy is changing is the way that um, Obama reacted to uh, Libya initially to what was going on there. He was willing to come in and bring what we had to offer, but he waited until somebody else made the first move, which I just thought was really encouraging because everybody's always expecting the United States to make the first move. And um, I've been saying for a long time, why don't we wait till somebody else does and then help them out? I mean, why do we have to be the first ones to act as policemen? I was very encouraged when the French jumped in there first and then NATO said, let's do something, and the United States said, then said, okay, we'll do it. We'll work with you. Well, I, exactly. I like and, of course, the French have had such a you know colonial stake in Africa, and the reality is just from a strictly um, uh, location standard, it affected their daily life so much, so much more than it did ours. Um, of course, we have our military and everything over there, but still, the French people have have uh, many, many ties to, you know, the the African continent. Yeah, and it made sense for somebody mm-hmm. else to jump in first, but it was a new thing. It really was different, don't you think? I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I mean, that, and, and I think it, it sends a, a message to the world. You know, one of the things that Americans are frequently accused of is just arrogance, thinking that we are the only ones who can solve any problem. And, um, uh, and so by, by saying, okay, we're, we're, a, we are all in this together. Um, we have, as a world, we have, uh, uh, we all have a stake in, Making this, making every person's voice have meaning, no matter what country they live in, and I think by by being a part of the solution and not the uh, spear point um, was extraordinarily um, beneficial to sort of a world view. Yeah, uh, I think we they, that will benefit all of us in the coming decades. Yeah, because. We don't need to be the first ones jumping in for a variety of reasons. Money is one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not to mention um, that it just—it's not in anyone. And democracy is what we've been jumping in, supposedly jumping in to um, uh, protect and foster and so on. But democracy is not our exclusive property. There are exactly. lots of democracies on the planet now. And it's time to allow those democracies to also support the creation of other democracies and people who want to create that. So, well, have you noticed any other examples of the move toward cooperation? You were saying something about realtors in Dallas yesterday, weren't you? Um, well, yeah, I was just, um, now that I'm I'm looking into... Uh, kind of shifting from the mortgage side into the uh, the actual real estate uh, side, I've been reading a lot more information about what's going on, and and there there's been a number of articles just about how people are in general more successful because you can't handle the entire you know metroplex, which is an enormous amount of square footage, and so people who have a client who live in one area and are moving to another there's just been a lot a lot of cooperation between different realtors as opposed to just that cutthroat kind of competition um, and uh, there was just there was just a big article about that, which I think by the time the paper gets a hold of something like that that's indicative of of um of how large that actually is, you know. Um, Something like that's got to be happening for a while before the Dallas morning. Exactly. Exactly. Very conservative rag. And then the other night, my my husband and I were, um, he was showing me some beautiful uh, videos on YouTube, uh, of music videos actually, and I was just struck by all the, so much, so many different Musical groups. There seems to be just 
proliferation of um, of musical groups that are having great success. Um, and a lot of the videos we were watching were very spiritual. Um, were very, you know, I just kept thinking, yeah, all these little these indigo children are, are getting out there and actually making it in through the competitive mess and um, uh, by the use of cooperative mediums like YouTube. And um, and actually getting their voices heard, and so many of them are groups of people, and um, and I do think that certainly the internet is is uh, an option. Fosters that it really fosters oh, yeah. cooperation, totally. And one example I think of of the cooperation is that people are are just telling the world, like on Twitter, what's going on in their neighborhood, like. Goodness, it looks like there's some gunfire and helicopters, and what's going on? And it was some guy just accidentally tweeting about the uh, invasion in uh, Abbottabad the other day. Mm-hmm. I love that. There, it's going to be almost impossible for anybody to keep secrets because social media is just this incredible form of cooperation. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. It's just beautiful. So. The, the trick is teaching it to children, and I think, like you said, the new indigos and the crystal children are going to come by. That's going to be more natural for them because they're more aware of our interconnectedness. The only thing I worry, I mean, I, to, I completely believe that that is a benefit, and at the same time, um, I just want to keep that human person-to-person connection going, you know, where people actually speak to each other and get in their in their presence because there's yeah. so much of communication. I mean, the majority of communication is nonverbal. Um and of course by by distilling the communication down to a tweet and uh dealing with the with the internet, you've taken all of that out of it. And I think um we've got to make sure that that um that you know that human multi vibrational connection isn't lost. Yeah, the the physical intimacy, the mm-hmm. actually looking in someone's eyes and walking down the sidewalk next to them and going out to dinner and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's really important. And I think the pendulum has, you know, with all these new goodies to play with, has swung uh, in the direction where people are spending, at this point in time, entirely too much time talking on, you know, their phones and being on Facebook and Twitter and so on. And I recently read a, a a paper or an article about if you Twitter all day long, you're more likely to uh, have your relationships last a very short period of time. So I think it's just a pendulum swing. I think we're going to have to get this thing in balance. And and another thing that um, I have heard from more than one source is that this is how social media and all this immediacy of communication all over the planet is how we will begin as a species to experience um, telepathic communication, instantaneous across-the-globe communication. This is how we're going to get into it. So it, it's going to serve that function as well, but it can't take the place of being close to the people around you and having closeness. So I think people will figure that out because, you know, you just get depressed if you don't get touched enough. I mean, we exactly. know that. Exactly, and and I guess when you're learning a new skill, it's exciting to concentrate on that skill, and mm-hmm. once that becomes second nature to everybody, um, you get bored with it after a while. Yeah, I yeah. think people will get bored with it, and they'll start noticing people when they're out in public, and they'll start connecting again. I think it's just I think it's a temporary thing, personally. Well, I, I hope so too. Um, and and I mean, it is the ultimate in arranging meetings. I mean, you know, yeah. that's, that's what happened in Egypt. You know, they they use that to uh, to make to uh, to let everyone know that hey, we're, you're not by yourself. We're willing to do this too, so, mm-hmm. and effect change. And of course, there will always be some things that require competition. I mean, look at sports. 
will always need some competition just for yeah. the fun so you can find out, you know, how to how good am I at this? Yeah, I I mean I don't just I because think it'll take the place is, of yeah, is dominant. It, I think no. that's what we're, what we're talking about. I mean, ultimately balance, but absolutely. Um, In fact, sports just, might take the place of war. Well, exactly. That would be nice. I mean, certainly the the energy is and the attention is on on sports, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, that would be uh, preferable. As long as we're yep. not using our um, our opponent's heads, you know. So, no, um, I'm not proposing that. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, oh, maybe it depends on who the opponent is. Yeah, no. really. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, toward that toward that end, um, uh, I do feel like the the planning and the methodicalness of the uh, you know this final raid on. Uh, Osama bin Laden and actually being able to take him out. And, of course, now we're, you know, there's evidence that he definitely has been the prime planner for all these years, just as we thought. I mean, I'll mm-hmm. personally never forget, I had just come in from a walk on the morning of September 11th and my sister called and uh, said, turn on the news. And I turned on the TV and, there, of course, the tower, the first tower was coming down. And my first thought was, Osama bin Laden, and she, mm-hmm. you know, she said, "Who's that?" And of course, now, yeah. now we all know that. I was uh, at the hairdresser getting my hair cut, and and I had just walked in, and they were all looking at the at the uh, television. Everybody was just frozen, looking at the television. And uh, somebody said, "They said it was some. They said they thought maybe it was some wealthy Arab who'd been part of a terrorist group." And I went, "Oh, Osama bin Laden." And they went, "Who's that?" Mm-hmm. Well, you'll find out, but I bet you that's who it is. Yeah. yeah. So he was he was indeed the mastermind, and, and I've been putting on Facebook and Twitter, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens as a result of this. I think that terrorism is going to die out because the, because not just because he was the guy who was doing all the planning, but just because it's going to cease to be such a... Uh, fulfilling thing because we are stepping back. Mm-hmm. And also I think, you know, all we have to do is get off foreign oil, which is if we just put a lot of time, energy, and money into that we're putting in what I think are the wrong places, into developing wind power and solar power, and that would put people back to work. And, and then the... They wouldn't be trying to get even with us for taking their oil because we wouldn't be taking it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, that's such a gigantic question has driven the exploration and the whole economic uh, centers uh, in the world for so many, many years. I mean, World War One, World War Two, you know, that was that was a. Uh, a major reason, even though we called it all these other things, um, the economic component to any war is much bigger than people are people usually are aware of. I mean, mm-hmm. or the military-industrial complex. Exactly. We call it when we were hippies marching mm-hmm. in the sixties. <laughs> At least I was. Um, yeah. So. Let's hope people are willing to teach this in schools and families to their children that we get further. I I had that experience, I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, when I was in grad school at one particular university where we all, this is an art where we all, I'm not going to name the universities, um, we all were cooperative and we helped each other get into national shows and we shared information about where the shows were going to be, what they were looking for, how to photograph your art so that it looked at its best to get into the shows and um, combine shipping when more than one of us got into a show to save money on the shipping. And then I went, because my husband got into law school at another university, I went to grad school at that university for a while and it was so competitive and nasty and mean that I went back and and just commuted once a month with the cooperation of my graduate committee to uh, get my MFA from the other school where I started originally. And uh, it was just this energy, this 
feeling of cooperation that just permeated the original university that made it a much better school. It had a much better uh, rating academically, in the art department anyway. So it works on that level too. Definitely. And just, you know, if we, the, the epitome, if we all work together, we'll all get further down the road. And mm-hmm. I think at this time in in the world, you know, realizing we are truly, this is one world, this is, you know, the, the tragedy that happened in uh, in Japan with the tsunami and then, of course, the whole nuclear. And it turned so many people's attention to to the fact of how interconnected we all are. I mean, now all that, uh, the radiation, everything has been is in the ocean, and now then we're going to start having to look at the quality of the fish and the seafood and all the seafood that comes out of that ocean, how that's being affected. Mm-hmm. So, but you know what? There may be some sort of microbe or plant that just goes berserk and gobbles it up, like, mm-hmm. like with uh, the oil in the Gulf if we all expect miracles. And that's another level of cooperation I would like to talk about, is if everybody focuses on something positive happening um, rather than um, going into doomsday scenarios like so many people did with that oil spill, um, if we can focus on what we want and focus on a miracle, we're much more likely to get one if we all focus together, which is another level of cooperation. Which makes me think of that wonderful show you did um, with the people. Uh, were they in Clearwater, someplace on the one of the Gulf Coast mm-hmm. Florida towns? How Joe they had, Mui. I'm sorry. The name of the woman I was interviewing was Joe Mui, M O O Y. Right, right. If and people want to so, go back and listen to that exactly. one. Exactly. It's a, it was a wonderful show, Lois, and and you know just how they had kept everything out of their bay. They kept it away. Um, and how did they do that? And they did that with their their collective uh, their collect the collective consciousness that that they were not going to allow it in there. Um, are you? They were going to create a protected area. Exactly. Had the ceremony the, 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 and yeah. prayer. Yeah, right. ceremony, prayer on the beach. Ceremony, yeah, on the beach, and prayer and focused intention of keeping that place safe. Exactly. And they did. Exactly. That was just that was really wonderful. The perfect example of of expecting a miracle, and mm-hmm. not just expecting, but putting in action anything you have at your at your within your tool, uh, your tools, your personal tools uh, to um, to manifest the miracle you're hoping for. You know, hope hope's mm-hmm. one thing, and that's a powerful thing. But it's wonderful when you have. Learn things that, and you know, other people again, cooperation who can help you achieve that goal, and and just the concept of of sharing what you hope will happen. You know, knowing mm-hmm. that there are other people out there and other people who are going to use their personal tools uh, to do what they can. Yep, cooperation Focus on miracle. In fact, that's the Hathors uh, through Tom Kenyon recently. Um, put out a, a new, we're going through another chaotic node. I don't know if you're familiar with the Hathors and Tom Kenyon's website, but um, anybody who's listening, it's TomKenyon.com if you're interested in going to uh, his website and click on the tab that says Hathors. They are um, beings who are in the fifth dimension and they're ascended beings who are masters of sound and they've worked with human beings since, well, for a very long time. They live on Venus in uh, the fifth dimension, and they talk to uh, they talk to us a lot in Egypt because there are images all over the friezes in Egypt. In fact, there's a temple devoted to them in, in Dendera. That, that temple at Dendera is devoted to the Hathors. But anyway, the Hathors communicate with us through Tom Kenyon and some other people, but primarily Tom Kenyon. And uh, what they have said recently is that um, we're we're going through a chaotic node, and every bit of that just jumped right out of my head. Let me go look at it. Do you remember that? Did you read that one? Uh, yes, I did. Um, but, but the thing that was hitting me when you were talking about the, the Hathors is, uh, you know, the other thing we had spoken about previously about how, um, the movie Avatar, uh, Jim Cameron's Avatar, um, just that the that the beings look so similar to 
kind of to the Hathors with their little... No, they look similar to the Ankenosh. Well, okay, I was thinking of the little cow-like ears and stuff like that. Oh, Um, yeah, the cow-like ears, but they're tall and blue like the Ankenosh. Right, right. And and that was just it, which always makes me think of you know my my love for uh, for film and and if there is no more cooperative medium, I mean everybody has their such a vast medium and you know James Cameron is a visionary and but without the wonderful people who could do all the all the animation and the blue screen mm-hmm. and the scientists who came up with the amazing suits that could give the human uh, movements to uh, to the animated sequences and you know everything on a in a film on a in a film is is done by cooperation and the rise of that medium uh, and of course in the midst of all of that there's still people who are trying to to uh, to uh, keep it focused on just one person's vision or one the studio's vision and and keep all the different uh uh artists film filmmakers out of great of the mass distribution and there are ways that people get around that you know the things mm-hmm. that come up on YouTube and the the in the rise of the independent uh films all the film festivals and when people actually will search out uh the independent visions, uh, filmmakers that maybe are not getting the big multiplex distribution. Uh, we all have access these days to uh, to an amazing group of independent films because of YouTube, because of all the the people who can do things on with this amazing technology, with the video cameras and everything else. And it's interesting when you when you look for independent vision. You still, what you find is what you resonate with, and then that builds another community, and that fosters possibilities for uh, for for many divergent views to be expressed. Mm-hmm. And so, that cooperative medium uh, can still find its audience if we're willing to do to look for it. You know, find your group. You know, find mm-hmm. people who are expressing like-minded, in, like-minded yeah. people. Yeah. Okay, I found the, the Hathors thing, Great. and what they said is we're going through a um, a time when, uh, with all these massive changes like the tsunami and uh, and you know earthquakes and tornadoes and all that stuff, where our perceptual markers disappear. In other words, the way everything looks is different, like rubble where there used to be houses and streets, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and that that a natural mammalian response is, uh, well, here it says, if the destructive force is strong enough, perceptual markers of your formal reality may no longer exist. Your home or place of business may no longer be there. You may find yourself dealing with shortages of food and water, and there are any number of variables that can come together to create a state of shock and overwhelm. Then they say it's a natural mammalian response, shock and overwhelm. but if you are to transcend and transform the moment, you must reach upward to higher dimensions of your own existence, of your own being, to those realms of consciousness that are beyond time and space. To the extent that you're able to incorporate the transcendent aspects of your being as part of the equation for your survival, you'll be able to mitigate the shock and overwhelm. This, the central feature that needs to be identified in the middle of chaos or any form of chaos is the portal of opportunity. This opportunity for survival or a new life may present itself in ways you don't expect. This is because perceptual markers are no longer in place and your consciousness may not recognize an opportunity when it presents itself. So there's a deep-seated human habit tendency that wants to conform new realities to those of the past because we know what those are. Um, But this would not be a good idea is what they're saying and that... um, there's a lot they could say about hyperdimensional realities, but they want to cut to the chase and say in a simplistic way to give us a formula to recognize and create create opportunities for new life and a new destiny when they present themselves. And that doesn't just have to be when there was a tornado that went through. That can be when your life gets turned upside down. So assuming that you've entered a transition state and you've befriended the void that exists after everything has shifted and your perceptual markers are gone. Here's what they suggest. 
be curious and expect miracles. That's it. And I've been saying for a long time, be a neutral observer of what's going on and expect miracles. So be curious is kind of another way of saying it. Mm-hmm. So by entering a state of curiosity, you engage an aspect of your mind that's free to move around, unfettered by expectation. It becomes much like the child of a child, mind of a child, and in that innocence, it's not childishness, but it's an open and in, openness and innocence. You're you're able to enter a vibratory state of consciousness, which is very beneficial by holding the expectation of miracles. You release the power of creation inside. Is that cool or what? That's wonderful. And if we can all do that cooperatively as a group, like everybody expects the the sea to respond to the situation and and get plants or microbes going that will gobble it up because there are plants that'll do that. They found that stalks of um stalks and roots of sunflower plants will do that. They'll gather up the radiation. They'll soak it up out of the ocean. Well, maybe the ocean has plants like that and with the radioactive stuff in the ocean, maybe those plants proliferate because there's a lot of food. I mean, that would be a miracle. Why shouldn't we expect that or some other miracle? That sounds wonderful. But we have I think we have to focus on it as a group. You know what? Becky's here today. She's been oh. having some scheduling stuff going on and she hasn't been able to be here, but let's open the line and talk with Becky. I think this is Becky. No, let's see. Becky, is that you? Area code 770? That's not Becky. And that well, person who is it? I don't know. They didn't want to talk. Oh. So that's okay. Um, I was confused because it's area code 770, which is the one that the number she calls from. But um, if I guess if they had a question, they'll raise their hand, hit the number mm-hmm. one and raise their hand. But um, anyway, yeah, she's been having some scheduling stuff going on that's totally different, totally different. And I miss her. She's fun. But um, that's what I mean by group cooperation in focusing our consciousness. And I've been a little bit disturbed lately by – you know, that's why I think it's important what we put out there, what we share on Facebook and Twitter, what we talk about to our friends, that we don't stick things out there into the group consciousness and plant seeds of doubt, fear, um, you know, the sky is falling kinds of communications. And uh, I've been waking up in the middle of the night a little bit and listening to Coast to Coast lately, and I think there must be a new guy on there because... Everybody who's been on lately has been doing doomsaying stuff, which is not usually where they go. And I, I just kind of want to go slap, slap, don't do that. <laughs> really? Because we don't need that. Not we need to focus on, focus on what we want, and then when everything shifts suddenly, be neutral and expect a miracle. Keep your mind open. Expect miracles. Innocent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Putting out, you know, as long as you stay in that form, because I mean, that's that, because we are at the dawning of of a new era, and we are, you know, we need to be children who are open to, uh, to things we don't know yet or don't understand. And um, I just heard something in my head. It's the Jello is wet now. Be careful what kind of mold you put it in. I just channeled that. Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> the jello right. is wet now. Be careful what mold you pour it in. <laughs> okay. Thank you to whoever said that in my head. <laughs> That's right. That I was being childlike, so they were going to You absolutely were. Jello's wet. <laughs> careful. Yeah, we used to make popsicles when I was a kid with fruit juice and and Jello and uh, and our little Tupperware popsicle maker thing. And, and you'd freeze it. And we'd freeze, freeze it. Wow, I bet that was good. Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful, and the Jello was just a good idea because it it kept uh, it it kept the popsicles from as they it could kind of soften, um, but mm, still retain their their. Uh, yeah. Shape, we so. just did Kool Aid. We never tried Jello. Yeah, we do the the Kool Aid with the with and fruit juice with the Jello. So, um, 
We did it in ice trays before they had those plastic things. Uh-huh. Pepper, Pepper hadn't started his deal yet, and we we put little, you know, like toothpicks, a couple of toothpicks in there, and freeze them, and they were yummy. They were. They were. They were very good homemade popsicles. Um. So yeah, I'm expecting miracles. I'm expecting fabulous things to come our way, and I think that shifts what timeline you're on too, because I think that there are multiple timelines. And mm-hmm. people are splitting off into parallel realities. And if you get freaking out and expecting the worst, you're going to shift over into a different timeline than I'm in. I'm not going to that timeline. Yeah, good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to the one where uh, people are cooperating. They're uh, focusing their consciousness on what they want instead of what they don't want. And they're not catastrophizing and worrying. And they're being open and observing and curious and expecting miracles. Because miracles happen all the time. I mean, look at how quickly that oil went away in the Gulf. Okay, it's still a bit around the edges, all right, in the sand and the grasses and stuff. But it's pretty much cleaned up out in the Gulf because of the bacteria that came up from the deep, came up from so deep we didn't even know they existed and started gobbling up the oil because there was food, so it came to it. That's fantastic. Mhm. And that's you know what they say in the Course in Miracles, somewhere near the front. There's a a study in a book and everything called the Course in Miracles. And one of the things they say very close to the front is, you don't really know anything. You're looking at a chair, but you don't really know anything about that chair. You don't really know. You know, it's not really a solid object like you think it is. Let go of what you know, exactly. which may be why, which may be why the removal of perceptual markers is good for us, because it forces us into a, a new way of thinking and being, and and maybe we're not supposed to relate it to something in the past, but to allow the new to emerge through curiosity and openness. So what have you been curious and open about lately? Is that a hard question? It is kind of a hard question. It is kind of a hard question. Yes, it is. I mean, because I do I do read a variety of things, I, and I try to, to keep, you know, to read from a variety of sources just for that reason, because mm-hmm. I think... Um, uh, the sources of information people used to rely on or used to think they were covering their bases by reading you know the reading the newspaper or reading the watching the news and things like that and you know that's just such a a minor uh a minor channel really um, mm-hmm. there's so many so much out there and so many uh avenues of information that if you're not if you're not open and curious uh you know your your view is so limited mm-hmm. um, so that uh again taking advantage of all of what's out there available for us mhm i was uh, what comes to my mind right now is uh, about staying open and curious and i was talking to a friend about and she lives in durango and Uh, we actually met online and I've interviewed her once, um, about relationships. And I said, do you think you'll ever get married again? And she said, oh, no, no, I'm never going there again. I don't want a relationship. It's too painful when it ends and I'm so weird nobody could ever keep up with, you know, because she's out there on the cutting edge. She'll probably be famous someday for that because that's what happens when you're on the cutting edge and you write books. But... um, she said, no no man can stand being around this kind of thing. And I said, oh, you don't know that for sure. This is in a private conversation, not on the radio. I said, you don't know that for sure. There might be a guy out there who's suffering the same way you are and thinking nobody will ever want him because he's so weird and you just bump into him. She said, well, I guess that's possible. And I said, yeah, why don't you just stay open to that possibility? And uh, she said, oh, well, maybe I will. Well, guess he's getting married. Oh, that's great. <laughs> It's only been about six months or seven months ago that we had that conversation. So she did find somebody who was 
completely open to everything she was. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. And again, you know, you planted a seed of possibility. And, That's what uh, we owe each other, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful way to Planting a seed of positive possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that sounds like a life mission to go around planting seeds of positive possibilities. It it is. Once you realize that it helps people manifest their dreams. Exactly. Why wouldn't you do that? Or yeah. bring joy into their lives. I mean, that's why I get so I have I'm really working hard at being patient with people who haven't figured that out yet. That when you say negative things to people, you're planting seeds of, you know, gloom and doom and sadness in their lives. And when you say positive things to people, like, you know, it's entirely possible. Just reframe the moment for them. It's entirely possible you could meet someone just like you. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I just, one thing I've been doing the last few years, and I learned that from from my son, um, is just when I see something out and about in the world that in my mind I think, you know, what a beautiful thing you just did or how beautiful are you or that's something beautiful that that uh, you're wearing or, you know, the way your hair looks or whatever. Um, I just say it to people. They're strangers. Um, I see see a mother being having a sweet interchange with their child. I'll just comment on it. I see someone who has on something fabulous, and I'll just tell them how wonderful they look. And it's just... You know, it's always surprising to people, and at the same I know, time, I do that too. And yeah, I, and I think it's because you're you're feeding. You know, it's like fertilizing the plants. Exactly. With, exactly. Yeah, it's like making the world a better place by putting positivity into it. Mm-hmm. And they are always surprised, aren't they? Oh, they are. They are. And and um, you know, there's a. A great commercial that's been on for a while, where where someone does something good, and because someone absorbs that uh, observes that happening, they do the next thing that comes about, and it really does that that uh, interconnectedness, that cooperative attitude of bettering all of us, mm-hmm. uh, paying it forward, mm-hmm. that all kind of that. Thing. Yeah, planting planting positive seeds, which eventually grow into giant forests of positivity. Mm-hmm. So. And that always feels better than anything else. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think I'm, I'm hoping I visualize a future in which we all plant seeds of positivity. That we all just sort of one day wake up and go, you know, what's with the doom and gloom? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go around saying positive things today because it's a better world when you're focused on what's right instead of what's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I have a, a relative who is experiencing, uh, I guess, a third or third layoff in their family. Um, and her husband's in high tech, and strangely enough, um, he's had he's laid off again. But what they've realized this time um, is that the other two times it happened at such a fortuitous time for them to allow them to have amazing experiences. I mean, uh, the time before this, during his layoff time, he was able to be with his mother in her uh, in her final journey uh, out of this dimension, you know, and he was able to be with her when she died, and he was able to uh, help his father through it. And if he had been so busy as he normally is in his his high tech career, he would not have been there, and and so the feel of this experience for you know as an observer of of this uh, of their journey, it's it's been gratifying to realize that this time the panic is not there. They're realizing that you know he's had a health he has a health crisis he's having to deal with, and if he were still busy with his job, he it would have really been difficult. Um, to deal with this health crisis. And so because this is the third time that's happened that he's had to really take a break, been forced to take a break, this time they're realizing that there are bigger forces out there and maybe it's it's because he needs to take a break to deal with some other aspect of his, of his life, um, yeah. of their life. And they realize and, it this time? And they realize it this time. 
And, yeah. Um, All know, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful. That's so cool. You know, the, I mean, the first time was total, total chaos and frustration and fear, and it was just panic. And then the mm-hmm. second time, you know, um, a lot of that began, but then very quickly he had his mother's and father's situation to deal with. So this time it was like, you know, when when this happened, the attitude is okay. Well, so what's gonna? Why do we need to take this break? And that awareness is uh, is something I think we that would benefit everybody if we realize there's things happening for a reason, and maybe uh, in this competitive world we live in, um, we're going to have to stop and we're all going to have to play our part in a cooperative way to get through this and allow a member who maybe had been the one taking the lead to deal with his personal personal life and deal with his personal journey, and you're all going to have to cooperate and you're all going to have to play your part and uh, and get everybody through this together. And this time mm-hmm. they know, it's, know there's a reason, and they looked for yeah. it. So. That there's divine timing. That's what they're mm-hmm. noticing. There's divine timing. Yeah, a woman came in oh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was doing a, uh, a card reading for her, which is how I channeled the Archangel Gabriel, actually. I finally figured out that that's what was going on. I look at the images and get the story. And um, what I was seeing was that there was some huge um, restructuring in her life, and it had to do with her husband. And she said, well, he got laid off last week. And she said, well, we've got some savings, but we're pretty nervous. And I said, well, it looks like, and I saw this also in the card images, it looks like he'll have another gig in about three months. So tell him to relax and take some time off and have some fun. Isn't there anything he's been wanting to do? And she said, yeah, we've been wanting to get on the motorcycle and and do road trips. And I said, well, then do it and do some camping out and do something totally different than you've done before. And she just got excited. She just lit up and she said, oh, my God, we could take a vacation. And we haven't had a vacation in years. He's been working so hard. And I said, yeah, live it up. Take Take your unemployment, your savings, whatever, and have a vacation because he's been working, you know. You know how some people in in America, it's kind of sick and twisted from my point of view that nobody ever takes vacations compared to how they handle things in Europe. So if um, if you've got a different perspective on what's going on, and reframe it for yourself. Like, what? Well, what does this mean? Does this mean what I, you know, that we're going to starve to death and lose the house? Yikes! Yikes! Well, you can focus on that really hard and make it happen, or maybe we're just going to have a nice vacation and enjoy our lives, and then get a better job. Exactly. And you know, each time he has been reemployed, it has been a better job. Ain't that um, something? Mm-hmm. It has. It definitely has. And, you know, during this time period, that concept, which had been foreign to them, you know, more conventional uh, religious situation that they'd been in and um, more conventional people that they are, not um, not people who are looking at the multi-dimensions that we're all, we're all looking at and exploring, um, it, uh, they've, They've really, during these time periods of of um, of a quieter life, and maybe something you're not you're not spending your time acquiring things. They've turned their attention to possibility and to your um, you know what they can being positive. And so this time, during this during this last time of employment, they discovered a church that really feeds their soul and it's the epitome of a positive attitude and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a whole new community that they're now supported by. Um, and so this time, uh, while he's dealing with this health crisis, you know, they've got this supportive, positive community that they are now, they're now a part of. And, um, and there's just not... You know, they're looking at how can we spend this time together, how can we uh, do things other than be worried about accumulating things. You know, it's uh, Mm -hmm. so many people in our country, that's what they've, and that kind of is fostered by the uh, 
competitive attitude, how many toys, you know, that that adage about he who has the most toys wins, you know. And I think that's, that attitude is changing. And that is what, um, you know, that competitive attitude is changing. And now people are saying, you know, who, how many people do I know? How many friends do I have on Facebook? You know, that's collecting people, um, collecting relationships, and it's mm-hmm. a, co- a cooperative endeavor. Exactly. And, um, you know, there's a recent study that actually one of my children told me about, and and that is that they, they found out uh, reports of life satisfaction and happiness and how much money do you need to make in, uh, in order to be happy and at what point do you have diminishing returns in other words you're working harder and making less or making more money but you're having less free time for happiness and they factored all these things in and they found out that after you reach about the $70,000 mark you're not any happier no matter how much more money you make you're not happier than people who it maxes out at about 70 so for obvious reasons if you're making only 20 or 30 uh, then you're probably so worried about finances that it's getting in the way of your happiness, which, of course, depending on your focus, it may or may not, depending on you know where you're living and if you're growing your own food and so on. But apparently in the United States, it's, it levels out at about $70,000. The more money you make, it does not make you happier after about 70. Is that a surprise or what? Are you there? I'm there. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just <laughs> thinking that that um, that's really true. You know, you um, because when you look back your over your life and you realize what you de you know um, what gave you happiness, and um, uh, I do know that the choices I made when I was a young wife and mother that. You know that I, I regret in some ways, but now I look back and say, "Thank goodness I had all that time um, mm-hmm. that we we chose to stay in a home we rented from my in-laws um, rather than build a house because that way I was able to be there for my children uh, when my husband was working so much and traveling, and then that we were able to keep the kids up to see daddy even if even if they took a nap at seven and woke up at nine thirty when daddy came home, you know. And they did. And you can't do that if you're going to then have to be getting up to go to work to be making money to to have the things. So that deferred deferred gratification in terms of of uh you know actual things and possibly you could say standard of living, but that phrase standard of living so often just refers to what kind of house you live in and what kind of clothes you you have as opposed to the quality of your life. And quality um, of life is so much more important than quantity of things and it's exactly exactly deepest, deepest desire that more and more people will come to realize that. We're just going to have to put that out there. Be positive yeah. about it. Let them yep. know that's a possibility. Yep. Yeah, that's I mean, even silly story. things like, you know, I have a I have a beautiful uh, beautiful diamond ring, you know, the, my wedding engagement ring. and But it's not, it's the one I got when I'd been married 15 years and, and my husband had had a lot of success and actually had gotten, had a couple of Porsches that his company was paying for him. And... Uh, and so uh, one thing when young brides, you can always see when girls are shopping for rings or people, they notice it suddenly. Um, and I always tell them, well, this was my 15-year upgrade. This isn't the one uh, the one I helped pay for when I got married. And uh, just to kind of keep a perspective when uh, young mm-hmm. people can get carried away about things like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I at that point I had stayed home to raise uh, two kids and be able to just, you know, do do little projects and uh, help our business grow but still have the freedom to be with the kids. And uh, that cooperative endeavor, you know, um, of we'll all take our time and uh, our, our, our lead, our, our position at point will shift, and that's what happens in a cooperative uh, system. Yep. 
it's your turn this time. Next time you'll have to take the hard road and uh we'll all we'll all get further down the road than any of us could have envisioned without that without mm-hmm. uh those uh points of positive possibility being coming from all those different sources. You know, when everybody puts their own sense of positive possibility out there, it's going to impact the entire group. Yep, it sure is. Well, we have just four minutes left. Is there anything else you feel like you want to say, or shall we turn on some music? Well, I have one thing you we were mentioning yesterday that I do think is important to put out there, that okay. um, the concept of, of how um, Osama bin Laden was buried at sea with uh, proper religious observation and and so that he is that there was no place for people to come uh to mourn him and I do feel that that was a wise decision um for the for the health of the entire world mm-hmm. that we didn't make another place and so I do applaud our president and our our government for um having that forethought and that respectful the respectful observance and uh, uh I just think that was a smart thing to do it was it was just I I I'm one of those people that thinks that Obama is uh, probably the greatest president I've ever experienced in my lifetime and I've been around since uh well Harry Truman although I don't remember Harry Truman. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> when I was about 1 or 2 I think uh the next guy took over but um I'll tell you I I think he is uh I personally believe he's the reincarnation of um Abraham Lincoln and um, that he's going to go down in history as the great, one of the greatest presidents we ever had. I love him. Well, and I, I think the people who are, are the competitive element, the old guard, just don't know what to do with this concept of someone right. who has such what a big doing. picture. Mm-hmm. And he's he knows where we're headed. I mean, you know, everything that I see him doing has to do with the new energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, that sounds like um, we've planted a lot of seeds of possibility and positive possibility today, and I think that uh, was a worthwhile use of of our hour together. I thank you once again, my dear friend. I thank you for being with me. It's been a great conversation, and we'll do it again sometime soon. Sounds good. Okie doke. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everybody, who came to listen, too, either live or in the archives. We appreciate you very much. I'm going to play some music now, Carol. Sounds great. Goodbye. Bye-bye. I want to remind everyone that I have a free newsletter. To sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. And my book is out. Not quite yet on Amazon, but you can order a copy each of paperback or in the archive. I'm in the PDF file. If you go to the website and click on uh, the tab on the right that says Acacia Records Case Study, let me know if you would like a past life reading or a life purpose reading. I do all this work either in person here in Houston or at a distance. I have clients all over the planet. And I'd love to add you to my client list and do some work for you, work with you. You can email me at lois at hotpinklotus.com. Thank you again for being with me today.